Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today, we're answering your listener questions. You know what, buddy? It's Monday, so we've got listener questions to get to. We've got uh, some great ones today, including a listener is wondering how her and her husband, how they should approach student loan payments resuming, particularly if they qualify for forgiveness. How it is that they should be thinking about that? We'll kind of dive into the nitty gritty a little bit. Another listener is wondering about umbrella policies, who it is that should get them, when it is they should consider getting one of those. So we'll talk about that. And... Another listener, he's got some silver and gold on hand. And so what should he what should he actually do with that? Should he hoard it like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> in his cave? Uh, <laughs> I think hoarding it makes sense. Like schmog. That's a, I think that's a reasonable way to handle. But And this is actually physical uh, gold and silver, so we'll yeah, talk about yeah, that. Actual, yeah, just like, just like not the, almost the dinosaur. Not the, <laughs> just like the dragon. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll get to those. Uh, plus more during this episode. But uh, you, you got this thing in here about the belt card you wanted to mention? Yeah, so I always love hearing money wins from our listeners. And I feel like we get emails every week from somebody who's like, dudes, I did this. Like, how amazing. And so it's always fun to, and, and we see it in the Facebook group as well. If you're not a member of the Facebook group and you're on Facebook, you should be the How to Money Facebook group. But um, I love getting those emails. And listener Nazar, he was talking about kind of an arbitration play that he pulled with his built card. Nazar from Illinois, right? And yeah. <laughs> and he'll, he emails us like, I don't know, a few times a year. Yeah. It's, it's always nice to hear from him. Yeah. We hear, we get repeats from, uh, or, or, you know, repeat emails from listeners all the time, which I love. Which means you get to know a listener yeah. uh, over time. You kind of hear their struggles, their wins, how it is that, that they're handling their money. Exactly. And this was no exception. And so yeah. um, we talk about how when something comes with a transaction fee, how often that's really annoying, right? We're seeing more and more credit card transaction We've been fees. Talking more about that recently. But. What are the rewards you're getting on your card? Do they make up for the transaction fees or much more than make up, in fact, for the transaction fee? And and Nizar mentioned there was something that he was paying for. I forget what he said, so paying for with his built card. And it had like a, there was a 1.25% oh, transaction uh, fee. Property taxes. Pro- he, okay. had, he had some property ca- taxes come due and he realized. Which is usually a big bill. Uh huh. Like thousands of dollars. And considering that it's a government bill, they're not going to eat those costs. They're <laughs> right. going to try. <laughs> they're sticking those costs with you, just like the cellular providers are. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, but what he mentioned was actually, Built was offering a limited time 
5x points for for using your card um i think for anything and so he was like boom shakalaka the 1.25 percent uh transaction fee well it pales in comparison Mm -hmm. to the 5x points i'm getting and so it's just it's you're uh doing an arbitrage and optimization play with the card usage at that point and but clearly you have to be able to pay the bill on time and in full at the end of the month but knowing knowing nazar as well as i do based on our email correspondence (laughs) i'm i'm pretty sure he's got that handled and uh, Joel knows you well, Nazar, because he's he he builds out these dossiers on everybody <laughs> right. that emails in and creates these profiles that we keep on our local servers. <laughs> well, then I sell them to um, people in Silicon Valley so they can so specifically target you and yes, how it is exactly. that you spend. Now, I mean, so much of personal finance has to do with what like what are the alternatives, and we oftentimes say that. And so, yeah, what are are your alternatives? Well, it means not earning any points were you to pay this with you know writing a check or some like an ACH transfer or like somebody. Yeah, to, to somebody who the same advice applies no matter what. Well, they're just not thinking enough, right? Like if if the advice is to always pay off your mortgage, well, given today's environment, what are the alternatives? Yeah, the I alternatives mean, are. It, it seems more attractive today, certainly for folks who have brand new mortgages that with with higher rates. But for the folks who don't, well, there's something else that you could do yeah. with your money. What are Talked the alternatives? about that in a recent How to Money newsletter, by the way, didn't That's we? That's right. Okay. Let's get to the beer. You and I are enjoying today, dude, is a Prankster. Uh, This is by North Coast Brewing Company. It's a Belgian-style golden ale. And this one was uh, donated to the show by local listener Greg. Yeah. Yeah. So Lives around the corner. Dropped it off in person. Thank you, Greg. We appreciate that. We'll get to our thoughts. This is his favorite beer, by the way. And we'll get to our thoughts on on Greg's favorite beer. It's a good style. Yeah. Not one that we often... Is it uh, Allagash Curio? Isn't that a golden? Like a golden Belgian as well? It might be. I think Allagash does like... They do the Allagash White, which is kind of like a Belgian White. So Belgian White. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll give our thoughts on, on this one at the end of the episode. But if you have a question that you'd like Matt and I to tackle on a future episode, we'd love to hear it. Just go to howtomoney.com slash ask. Simple instructions there for you to record a voice memo, send it over it's our so way. It's so easy to do. Maybe we'll take it next week. And the weirder, the better. Yeah. Oh, we I'm love a, the weird ones. <laughs> get real cray. All right. But Matt, let's get to this first one. This one comes from a listener who just bought a home. She's pumped, but she's also a little nervous about her finances. Hey guys, I'm Taylor. I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm 23 years old and a few months ago I bought a house. Great, super excited about it. I love it. But since moving in and taking on all those new bills, I've been struggling to find an effective way to budget. I constantly find myself at the beginning of the month figuring out my plan and then next week I'm going back through and redoing it and I'm just struggling to really help myself map out where my money needs to go for all of those new bills that I'm taking on. If you guys could just give your opinion, any advice would be helpful to help me improve with my budgeting skills. Thanks. Love you guys. Bye. All right, Taylor, thank you so much for your question. And I am, dude, a couple things here. I'm glad to hear that you're loving the house. And I've got to say, I am super impressed that there are 23-year-olds out there buying houses right like you are most likely fresh out of school uh and somehow you've got enough to put down to purchase a home start building up some equity when i was I 23 was, i was not in that position no. <laughs> when i was 23 no taylor i mean in, in a few years time she'll be ready to take over hosting this podcast because she's obviously she's on a trajectory that's much better than ours yeah 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 most, but we had more room to improve joel oh so, that's true yeah, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, that's what it's about don't you love winning the it's most the improved most award? <laughs> that's <laughs> like, oftentimes how bad was i me right <laughs> but uh yeah home ownership it it can be an overwhelming thing from not only like a, a personal perspective but also from a financial perspective as well taylor and i'm you know i'm sure that you projected out some of those increased costs that you might incur some of those bills but it's one thing to imagine and to kind of think, okay, yeah, well, I'll have to do this, I'll have to do that. But it's another thing to actually receive those bills yep. in the mail and to start organizing and figuring out how it is you're gonna you're gonna tackle all this. Yeah, projections are one thing; concrete reality is another, right? And so, it, oftentimes you 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 can't. It's hard to project emotions as yeah. well and what it feels like. You might know that, well, yeah, I do have enough on hand, but how do I actually go about mm-hmm. doing this? It feels different. Yeah, and it can make you feel a certain way when you're like, okay, I can handle this in my budget, and these. Are the, even if your projections are pretty spot on, but then you're like, wait a second, it, it feels like I don't have enough money now to go towards the other things that I care about. So it 
uh, and it's not just folks who are buying a new home, by the way, but but even just moving into a new apartment, right, that someone's renting, that can throw a wrench into your personal finances. We're talking like security deposits, getting a handle on utility start dates, and like uh, the oftentimes, Matt, there's like a deposit required, right, to start, sure. start utilities. The costs associated with getting your previous place back in shape, whether you're paying a cleaning service or you're just spending the money on cleaning supplies yourself. And then, of course, the actual process of moving all your stuff, oftentimes that costs money, like unless you're uh, a type A organization organizer, an uber minimalist, right? Moving can be incredibly disruptive to your life. <laughs> if you can fit everything in your SUV uh, and make one single move, right. like one drive, then props to you. But Which, that's not the position that I think most folks Of anybody I know, my, my little sister is the closest to that and still can't quite pull it off because they've got like a couch and stuff like that they need help with, right? But they, they live the minimalist, uh, like one bedroom apartment lifestyle really well, but even still moving sucks and it's okay. Right. Uh, Taylor, that you don't have your budget totally dialed in yet. Right. You've, you've likely just upended your life. You're starting this new chapter and it's going to take some time to get things figured out. So if it was me, I would say be, uh, I would offer myself some grace and I think you should offer yourself some grace knowing that it's going to take time. Hopefully you have enough in reserve. So then you're like freaking out from a financial perspective, like, Oh man, can I pay the mortgage next month? It doesn't sound like you're there, but uh, so just be a little gracious to yourself as you're kind mm-hmm. of, even if uh, um, it's you're not perfectly dialed in. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it feels like your spending might be completely out of control <laughs> and you have more bills than you thought were possible, be patient with yourself. Yeah, like certainly stay organized, you know, enlist the power of, of auto pay in order to streamline some of these bills. But don't expect to nail your spending in the first few months there in your new house because uh, you can certainly try to. But your budget is not likely going to be immediately perfect because you're figuring things out now that you've got that new place. Or it's likely new to you, right? Like your new place. But chances are it's actually probably old. (laughs) It's probably a pretty old house. (laughs) And so it doesn't matter that your power bill in the apartment averaged uh, like $40 a month. If you've got a 100-year-old bungalow that's not insulated... Like you might be paying closer to like triple that. Yeah, it might be more space and just space that's less efficient. That's true. Yeah. So for now, like I would focus on making sure that you're just doing a great job tracking your expenses, right? That they are all accounted for, that you've got these expenses down on paper or you got them down in Excel rather than actually uh, budgeting your expenses. But then, you know, after a couple months, after you've got your arms around everything, your expenses, they'll be dialed in, and you can even then start to tighten the belt, right? You can ration in, you can rein in some of your spending a little bit, maybe where you see some slack. But initially, I would just be focused on making sure that there aren't bills slipping through the cracks, that yeah. you're catching everything. And then after a little while, then you can work on essentially getting back to pre-house Taylor. Because I feel like pre-house Taylor had things figured out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, based on the fact that she was, A, able to buy a home at, at the age of 23. And just the way she's talking about it, she's like, okay, I've made a budget at the beginning of the month, but then a week later, I'm realizing that yeah. it's completely gone to crap. It's and like she's just wrestling a different animal she, now. Yeah, it's a completely different animal. And she just has a very high standard is what mm-hmm. I'm gathering. Uh, she's got a very high standard for herself as to what it is, like how it is that her performances or that her uh, finances should be performing. Yeah, and it's one thing to, like we said, like project, hey, this is what I think the budget's going to be like, and then it's another thing in reality to have three months worth of documentation. And now you can, I think, come up with uh, a more realistic budget mm-hmm. based on the facts on the ground, like you're saying, Matt. And, and this doesn't even account, by the way, for the fun house purchases that Taylor probably wants to make, right? Bills, they're kind of boring. They're the steady thing, like the uh, the electricity bill or the gas bill, whatever it is. Those are the kind of things where you're like, yeah, I got to figure out how much I'm going to allocate towards that every month. And that's going to be a hard and fast rule. But I'm guessing on top of that, Taylor, you probably want to make this this place feel more like you, right? You want to buy some new curtains or even just painting walls, right? That costs money. That's one of the cheapest things, right? That you can do to update your place and, and make Low sure- cost, high impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> painting a few walls can completely change your space in a really awesome way. Or even wallpaper. Well, yeah, but that's even more expensive than paint. Wallpaper's in. <laughs> it, it is, <laughs> but it's also, it's more physical labor than I um, like to partake well, in. Well, you, you've got to be skilled to put a wallpaper, even though... Like, even the peeling stick stuff? Is that easy? I don't know. I've I, never, personally, I've never stuck up wallpaper, but the, you see, you know, like we like perusing Zillow still and like our local coffee shop, they just opened the interior. They've got wallpaper, like, like a custom kind of design. Wallpaper is totally 
it's totally back. Yeah, <laughs> but it is. It is. It's just um, maybe harder to actually apply than slapping some paint. Yeah, out. <laughs> I remember. I remember like the you had to use like the steam things to get wallpaper off to get it just, off. Yeah, I know how to get wallpaper yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, plaster because that's something I did when we uh, flipped the house like eight years ago or something like that. Yeah, so so never stuck it up. Yeah, wallpaper. It's one of those things. Yeah, it's going to cost you even more than the paint. But w- I guess one quick piece of advice we would offer on that front would be to write down a lot of the work right that you want to do to the home and, and maybe even a few of the furniture or decorative items that you want to buy and once you have those listed i would prioritize them come up with like a reasonable time frame for addressing each of these things given the amount of money and the bandwidth that you have and always keep some money in reserve for unexpected maintenance items and by the way when you have that list uh kind of figured out look towards used websites look toward facebook look towards oh, yeah. uh facebook marketplace right and ebay and mercari whatever like those kinds of sites so you can maybe find some of those things for a whole lot cheaper than you'd otherwise than you'd otherwise spend going straight to target or home goods it made me think back to there's this an auction that you and i like back this is a lot we didn't even have oh, yeah. kids at this point urban outfitters auction it was like an urban outfitters slash anthropology uh, auction. It was basically returns that people would make and stuff that they couldn't resell. And man, I remember that was perfect we, timing. We still have a rocking chair with a broken <laughs> leg that I like wood glued back together. Yeah, but like we, there are these amazing Persian rugs that we purchased there. Like we, we even bought a man, we bought like an anthropology sofa. I think for like eighty bucks that we just ended up flipping because it didn't work out for our space. But I think being creative and trying to find ways, uh, maybe some some non traditional places where you could outfit your home might be a, a, a great way to go. But Joel, mm-hmm. You, you mentioned keeping some money on reserve. That is so important, once you, especially once you have a house, because there is no landlord to call uh, when a toilet starts to leak. You <laughs> can call your old landlord, but they'll <laughs> hang up on you. Uh, when your dishwasher breaks. Yeah, they're not going to send somebody out to take care of that <laughs> hey, for you. Hey, my dishwasher broke. Sorry. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> Miss ya. Uh, and so just like you're going to need to give yourself a little more grace, like we talked about there, right? A little more margin because you don't have your, your budget sorted out. Well, you're also going to need to give your money a little more margin as well, because back when you're renting, maybe you felt totally fine with just three months of living expenses on hand. But with a house that you are fully responsible for, I think it could make a make a lot of sense to maybe pad out that emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe something a little closer to six months worth of living expenses when before you thought, well, that's, that seems ridiculous. Well, you could probably tell by looking at your roof how old it is and whether or not it needs to be replaced in the yeah, near future. The shingles curling a little bit. Yeah. If so, then like, all right, you're probably going to need to replace that roof in the right. next five years. And that's, I'm sure you got an, uh, a house inspection as well. And so I'm sure you're aware of some of these potential repairs that are going to be costly that might be on the horizon but just keep that in mind it's not just so right now i think it's smart maybe to just just uh you've got the single emergency fund and it's worth expanding that out but over time there are some of these expenses that you want to actually plan for you want to set up sinking funds you want to have savings buckets because you know that oh yeah at some point i'm going to have to completely redo the bathroom because again it's 100 years old so mm-hmm. the what's what's it like back in the day, they didn't have like concrete board. Instead, they just laid this one foot thick thing of concrete oh, that really? you would put the tile on. And so if you, anybody that's tried to renovate an old bathroom like that has personally experienced, I'm sure, <laughs> the amount of concrete that is virtually impossible to remove. But that's a costly thing. And it's just worth starting to, A, triage and make sure that you have enough on hand to kind of weather some of these some of these uh, housing storms, some of these different repairs. But then over time, you want to start identifying some specific things that you want addressed and really to uh, set aside sinking funds to address those future expenses. All right. And now this is turning into an episode of This Old House, which uh, <laughs> is fine. I mean, we can do that. Wallpaper, plaster. Uh, what else? Roofs. <laughs> yeah. All sorts of stuff. We've addressed so, it all. I'm sure, Taylor, hopefully, not trying to overwhelm you. Hopefully you, and it sounds like you come from a place of having had a good budget for a while. Like, you know what you're doing. You're just, you just entered a new frontier. And then, you know, re reorganize your budget to include kind of the new expenses that you've got coming your way. Um, And like Matt said, add a little extra margin in there as well, because that just provides not only the financial backstop, but kind of de-stresses everything at the same time. But best of luck. Keep up the good work, Taylor. Matt, we got more questions to get to, including one about inheriting precious metals. What do you do with gold bars? We'll talk about that in just a little bit. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. 
And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Joel, I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. Hey, folks, it's Matt. I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little Health Aid kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorites so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly probiotic tea that's good for your gut. It's blended with real fruit juice, and it's super thirst-quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy, and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon, I'll have some. It's super easy, and it's affordable, too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. We are back from the break, and we will get to that question about silver and gold. And no, we're not talking about the C. John Stevens uh, album. What are you singing? Um, that's like an old holiday song. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's funny because I was singing Silver and Gold. Uh, isn't that the name of the Sufjan? It is. Uh, album? The okay. second like five CD Christmas album <laughs> that he released. Yeah. Okay. We will get to that one here in a second. But first, let's take a question about student loans. Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Camille calling from St. Paul, Minnesota, the greatest city in our state. And I've got a question for you related to student loan repayment and the SAVE plan. I'm on PSLF and expect that my loans will be forgiven pretty soon. However, my spouse also graduated with a bunch of student loans, each of which were individually below 12,000 in their original principal balance, and he's been on an income-driven repayment plan for more than 10 years. As we approach the end of the student loan pause, we wanna have our plan ready, and I'm hoping you can shed a little light on the situation. From what I understand, it sounds like his loans would be eligible for full forgiveness next summer, but I'm a little uncertain because he hasn't been enrolled in repay or save specifically the whole time. From what you know, does the 10-year clock start when someone makes their first payment, enrolls in an IDR plan, or enrolls in SAVE? If he's already made 10 years of payments, could we just not pay anything since it's the on-ramp period and then have the loans forgiven next summer when the SAVE plan is fully implemented? Do months where loans weren't paid during the student loan pause count towards the 10 years of payments, similar to PSLF? Do you think we should plan for forgiveness and ignore our student loans but systematically hide gold coins in the grounds like squirrels hiding acorns? That seems like the best option sometimes. Thanks so much, and I look forward to your answer. 
All right, we got another reference to gold coins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll talk a lot about gold on this yeah. episode. Well, and Matt, I couldn't tell, is Camille incredibly proud of her city or is she ragging on the rest of Minnesota? She's like, <laughs> it's great here. Does it suck there? Does it suck in the rest of it? I, I doubt it. I'm sure... Minnesota's a great I don't know. State. Maybe she really is like, yeah, no, nah, the rest of the state, not, <laughs> not so great. Come here. Don't go there. Uh, but all right, let's talk about student loans, Matt. Let's talk about payments resuming. And uh, first off, Camille, congrats on having your loans forgiven soon. Uh, people on PSLF, Matt, have in particular made out like bandits <laughs> during this payment pause. That's because like the, the three and a half years of not having payments at all, well, it counted as making on-time payments on the 10-year timeline. Yeah, so like it counted a, towards that 10-year, yeah. those 120 payments. So like basically. a third of the timeline was consumed mm-hmm. uh, of having made on-time payments by not having to have make actual payments, payments at all. <laughs> right? So yeah, the, yep. Camille in particular is like a beneficiary of that and as well as everyone else who's on their way to PSLF. And the cool thing too on top of that is you owe no tax on the forgiven amount either. That's not the case necessarily. Uh, there's for every single loan type, but anybody enrolled in PSLF, the amount that is forgiven is not taxable, which is cool too. So it's a pretty sweet setup. We're pumped for you, Camille, but let's talk about your husband because he's in a bit of a different boat and we'll get into the nitty gritty and discuss right now. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so first, you mentioned not paying anything until uh, forgiveness becomes available next summer. And so let's just generally, overall, for everybody here, let's address this, because normally it would be a really bad idea to not pay on your student loans each month, like clockwork. Mm-hmm. It could result in delinquent status. It could damage your credit score as well. But that's not the case for the next year, as the, the Biden administration has instituted a really, basically, it's like a really long on-ramp to repayment. That's what they're calling it, is an on-ramp. And it's like like the longest exactly. on-ramp of on-ramps <laughs> in existence. But with the save plan, uh, folks who don't pay on their loans for a full year, they're they're still not going to have those late payments reported. They're not going to have their credit scores dinged up. Um, or uh, neither will they be sent uh, to collections either. It's, again, sort of like a, a payment pause extension. But truly, they're just calling it something else. They're just calling it this uh, the save on-ramp just to, so that folks aren't surprised once those payments... They're trying to bridge the gap, essentially, between now and next July when the rest of the save plan kicks in. Like Some of the elements kick in now. Some of the elements don't fully kick in until July of, of next year, until summer of next year. So what we would tell you if you opt to go that route is to keep in mind that interest will continue to accrue, right? If you don't make those new monthly payments under the save plan. And by the way, if you already had unpaid interest, it's not going to disappear. You still have to pay that down. But if borrowers do make their monthly payment, the good news is that interest will not accrue, right? You're not going to see your balance grow up due to interest racking up. So those are like the finer points, the details. So basically, if you're 100% sure (laughs) that this loan is going to be forgiven, you might want to take this route. But if you're not, you could up in a worse spot with those student loans than you'd otherwise be in going that route. That's right. And as far as what your husband should, what, I guess what you and your husband should do moving forward, your husband should definitely sign up for SAVE if he's not automatically enrolled. Uh, you can do that via the Department of Education's website. Yeah, you can do that right now too, and it's advisable to do it now. Yeah. And the way those loans are considered eligible for forgiveness is based on payments, not the length of time that he was enrolled in a repayment plan, not... Uh, after SAFE has been implemented, it doesn't kick in, you know, with like the first payment with that new plan. Uh, so it says specifically on the Department of Education's website, quote, borrowers with original principal balances of $12,000 or less will receive forgiveness of any remaining balance after making 10 years of payments with the maximum repayment period uh, before forgiveness rising by one year for every additional $1,000 borrowed. So even if you're listening and you're like, oh man, I'm really close to that 12, but I'm actually over. Well, you still qualify for forgiveness, but it might be a year or two extended depending on how much you've borrowed. Um, But payments made before you opt into the safe plan are going to count towards the forgiveness timeline. Uh, So it's previous payments made and future payments as well. It, it, It doesn't just qualify folks who are moving say like fresh out of school and they are just now getting started with the save plan yeah. no, it, your, your history previous matters. payments totally count uh and similar to your pslf plan those those 40 plus months of no payments they will count toward this timeline yeah from everything we've read those count as well towards the timeline so it's going to make a lot of people eligible pretty quickly for some of this new forgiveness once it rolls around next summer and it's, it's why this is this the new safe plan is such a huge stinking deal yeah it's like there is a lot of student loans that are being forgiven and we said you and i said from the moment it was announced that this is actually a bigger deal than just the blanket forgiveness that the biden administration tried to and failed to pass right that this is going to 
provide more financial relief than just a blanket 10 or 20k in forgiveness and it it looks like from everything we can tell that it's that that's going to be true like a hundred percent true mm-hmm. this is going to be a massive game changer for people with student loans so and then uh, the question that camille had was well should she bank on this forgiveness taking place and and squirrel her gold coins away right in the ground which i mean <laughs> i think we like the we're conservative in a lot of ways i mean there's some ways in which probably we you and i are not conservative but but it, when it comes to counting your chickens before they hatch there was a lot of people who who did that with with the student loan forgiveness declaration right they were like okay cool let me spend all this extra money then i'm going to pretend my student loans exist and they're, then they're going to get wiped out they had a rude awakening yeah so we would say on this well, don't actually spend the money, right, until the forgiveness comes to pass. The uh, the safe plan has been in the works for a bunch of months. I, I, I think this is going to stick around. I don't think this is going to face the same sorts of legal opposition, but it is susceptible to legal challenges. And so you just... It could happen. Yeah. You, <laughs> I would not spend the money ne- yeah. uh, before, before seeing the uh, forgiven in full statement come in the mail, right? So while you might not want to make payments right now, and you might both have these loans forgiven really soon, which it sounds like it will, especially with PSLF, I worry a whole lot less about that. It's a good idea to save the money that you would have paid each month toward those loans instead of spending it. Be like the squirrel, hoard the dollars, and then once those loans are hopefully and likely forgiven, you'll have a ton of financial breathing room. You'll have a lot of yep. options of what you can do with the money that doesn't need to go towards student loans anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Hoard those gold coins, but don't don't eat the acorns yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like store them away. And that's what's so great given the high interest rate environment that we're in is that you, you're you not completely having all of that money eaten away by inflation. Yes. We're, like, we are seeing, seeing inflation come down a little bit and we, we are seeing the rates that banks are paying on high yield savings go up significantly. So this is a perfect opportunity for you to sock some of those dollars away, mm-hmm. earn a lot in interest on that, have it on hand just in case that there's some sort of legal challenge, in case there's some sort of political scrutiny that the new safe plan comes under. But assuming that everything moves forward, like the White House is planning, you're going to have hopefully a chunk of money on hand next summer to mm-hmm. put down towards a house to yeah do who knows what. <laughs> you, Buy a you've Ferrari, got, maybe. You never know. <laughs> you've got in mind. Uh, so, okay, speaking of gold, is that what she said, squirreling away gold coins? She did, around yeah. Okay, so we've got our question now from our listener uh, here in Georgia about an inheritance. Hey, guys, this is Nick from Athens, Georgia been listening to the podcast for about six months. I appreciate what you guys are doing. So my question is uh, regarding an inheritance that I received in the last couple of years, uh, the main portion of which was a 401k account, uh, which came with a pretty high tax liability um, that I underestimated just a bit. But uh, there were some other portions, um, including some silver and gold. So my question is, would it make sense to use some of that Silver and gold, potentially sell it to cover some of the tax liability. Uh, Just a little more info, I probably do have enough cash on hand to pay the taxes without worrying about tapping into any other reserves, but that would leave me pretty empty on cash. Have some sort of planned expenses uh, coming up. Might need to get a new car, um, potentially replace my roof down the road, so don't really want to wipe my cash completely out. Plan to do my own research, but just wanted to see if you guys... Had any advice on how good of an investing strategy uh, gold and silver is, and then maybe uh, where to get started if to potentially get a good price on selling it. Thanks. Nick, first off, man, sorry for your loss. An inheritance means you've lost somebody that you love or care about, mm-hmm. unless it's some sort of uncle you never heard about. Or that happens sometimes, Matt, where people get an inheritance and they're like, I didn't even know that person. I I hope that was the case for you, Nick. But, um, but yeah, I, I also, Matt, I love that he said he plans to do his own research, right? Because you totally should. Like, we will do our best to help you here, but we're certainly not infallible. We're far from it. And so it is It is something that we um, highly suggest, like, with, whether you're reading our content or listening to us, uh, it's, it's a good idea to make sure you're listening to multiple sources. We would never say, like, take our word as... 100% gospel truth. And, and everyone has like a, a different vantage point. Matt and I have our own vantage points and we try to be honest with about our potential biases and our actual biases, but even sometimes it's hard to recognize your own bias. So that's true. Uh, that being said too, when, Matt, when, when Nick said he might need a new car, I hope he meant new to him, not, not brand spanking new. 
brand new cars have gotten really expensive these days. I think they're about to crest the 50K uh, price range on average. And so um, you can pay more for insurance too, typically when you do that. So uh, upgrading to a nicer used car might make more financial sense. But I just wanted to toss that out there before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of inheritances and gold and silver. That's right. But specifically, Nick is asking about uh, what to do about this specific inheritance. And Man, inheriting a 401k, it does come with some tax consequences. And so for older, uh, older listeners out there, and you want to maybe you want to leave some money behind, some assets for their loved ones, Roth money makes receiving that inheritance much easier, uh, mainly because it eliminates the taxes that they would otherwise owe. Because you've already paid taxes on that, mm-hmm. <laughs> on that money. Uh, because you don't it's a much that. cleaner thing to inherit a Roth. Yeah. One way to reduce your tax liability on that 401k, Nick, though, is to leave the money in the plan for the time being, uh, because of new inheritance rules, uh, you've actually got 10 years to fully empty out that account. Uh, but you must start taking those required required minimum distributions, those, those RMDs, from the inherited IRA by December 31st of the year following the original owner's death. So kind of keep that, that timetable, that timeline in mind. Uh, and since you pay tax on the distributions that you take, it's likely best to plan to take those distributions over a longer period of time, right? Where you're stretching it out, potentially reducing your overall tax liability, uh, but at least not giving you a massive headache were you to do it in a single year where yeah. it takes it significantly increases uh, the, the tax bracket that yeah, you're in. If you liquidate the whole thing in one fell swoop, yeah, that's going to cause a, a meaningful tax issue in that specific year. And Matt, what you're saying is like, hey, no, take smaller distributions over a decade, like you're allowed to do under the law. And and that's probably going to work out better for, for you from an overall tax perspective. Mm-hmm. But even if, if it's not from an overall perspective, at least it's going to help you um, plan more effectively, right? Sure. Let's talk about precious metals. Like you said that uh, Nick said that he inherited silver and gold too. It sounds like that was on top of the 401k. And, and based on the way you talked about it, it makes me think that you inherited literal physical gold and silver. So I'm not sure if that was in like a safety deposit box or, or, or you know, how that came to you, but it, it made it sound like you're not, you did not inherit like an ETF that tracks precious metals, which would be so much easier to sell. Yeah. It sounded like he's like, what do I do with this gold right. I've got on hand? Why? <laughs> what, what do I sell it? And we're not really, you, you and I, we're not fans of investing in gold, whether it's physical or whether it's some sort of fund that tracks the price of gold. What about platinum? Um, not that either. <laughs> and so it, the thing is though, like it is at least easier and comes with fewer transaction costs if you have a fund that owns precious metals and not the actual precious metals themselves. So um, if you have physical silver and gold, I would want to sell it too. Uh, It's just a risky asset to have on hand. But here's the thing, buying and selling comes with a higher, what's known as bid-ask spread, which means that you don't get the full value of your investment when you're selling it. You've probably heard ads for like precious metal companies on old school radio, right? And we don't recommend buying what? any, right? Uh, not even the, on old school radio. Even on like, on, I've heard ads for on podcasts too. Uh, yeah, probably, yeah. precious metals on hopefully, podcasts. Hopefully not on ours. And if you hear that, let oh, us know. We'll try to yes, make sure is... it's taken off. <laughs> because sometimes there are ads. This is that, a great PSA. Yeah, there are ads that air on our show that we don't know. We don't know they're running. So yeah. give us a heads up so that those ads aren't going out to other listeners who might not be the wiser, right? Sure. And yeah. so um, yeah, so you might hear those ads. But whether we're talking about physically owning gold, having them in your in your actual possession. Uh, sticking them under your mattress, however you might store those, or owning an ETF that owns bullion, like it's it's not a good idea for most people. In, in in fact, we would rather see you invest in the American, the world economy, as opposed to investing in a hedge asset like gold. For most people, um, it just it doesn't need to be a part of their portfolio. And if and here's the thing too, it's really important to think about whether or not you would go out and proactively buy these things that you've inherited. Because Mm -hmm. if you wouldn't go out, if you weren't saying, you know what's missing in my portfolio? Some silver and gold. If you weren't saying that already, then there's no reason to keep this around, right? It makes sense to sell whatever just came into your life if it's not something you're proactively pursuing already. Yeah. I mean, I I would think I would approach this in in the same way that we approach folks who say we're given a certain amount of stock from a family member. This is literally a question that we've gotten before. They're like, oh, my mom got me this stock starting at the, or my grandma did at the, bought me one stock of Coca-Cola every year since I was five years old until I was 21 or something like that. And similar to that advice, if you want to say maybe keep one share. So in this case, if you want to keep like one gold coin just as like a memento or just like as a keepsake, I'm totally fine with that. Frame it, put it on the wall. Or even just like carry it in your pocket. I think that's kind of cool. <laughs> like I would a hate- lucky rabbit's foot. 
<laughs> yeah, just to be like, hey, check it out. This check out my my gold coin. Uh-huh. I think that's cool. Uh, but Joel, what you're talking like the uh, there's a behavioral finance term that you're speaking to, and it's called the endowment effect. And because we've inherited something, what happens is that we impute added value to it, even if it's not something that we otherwise would have you know ever that we would have gone out and done if it was something that may not have even been on our radar. Yeah. Uh, but where do you sell this gold? This is another part of your question. The easiest option is to check online. There are different sites that are totally legit. Cash for Gold USA, it's one of the oldest companies, oldest sites that's really reputable. Liberty Gold and Silver, you can uh, sell there as well. They've been around for a while. They're well-reviewed. The mar- So it's called the company's called Alloy, but I think the, the URL is the Alloy Market. That's another site. They make it really easy, but don't just take the easy online path. Go to a local jewelry shop. Uh, maybe go to a couple of them in order to see what they might pay. They're also pawn shops like uh coin like precious metal coin shops and they specialize in buying and selling gold i would totally go out there venture into a couple of these different places see what they would give you get some quotes and it's not really an efficient process which just reinforces our belief that gold and silver aren't great things to own especially in (laughs) in physical form yeah but like literally they will buy gold from you and like jewelers in particular i mean they literally they even if they're making jewelry if they're making custom jewelry they get little bullion and they melt it down so they would do the same thing with any coins or i don't know dust bars Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you might have around i was curious too and i checked because the price of gold is actually near right now it's near all-time highs which is kind of cool and so this shouldn't encourage you to time the market, but from an emotional standpoint, it might help a little bit to, to think, yeah. well, should I unload this? Well, maybe it softens the blow a little bit knowing that, that silver's actually not quite as high. So hopefully you've got more gold on hand than silver. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, totally unload it. That's what I would do. Yeah, Nick. And, and by the way, last piece of advice for you. We, just try to let this inheritance boost your ability to save, invest, and work towards financial independence, right? And and take the boring path of investing in index funds in your tax-advantaged accounts first. I think the more you do of that, the better off you're going to be. And I feel like this could be kind of an interesting sidebar to your personal finance education, but hopefully it actually like helps reroute you back on the main track to to pursue your you know financial knowledge and your financial acumen even more in the coming months and years. Uh, And hopefully it's just like, yeah, a little financial boost too, as you're trying to uh, reach and achieve some of those goals. Totally. Yeah. And by the way, the reason, I guess part of the reason too, he's talking about selling this is to not deplete all of his cash savings on hand. And that's totally not the position you want to find yourself in where you have zero liquidity. Uh, You've completely wiped out your savings and you've got some of these, I think he he mentioned the car, which you addressed, but I think he also was talking about maybe a future, like a roof down the road that might need to be replaced. We're talking a lot about this old house, this old house. (laughs) (laughs) fixes that might need to happen. But that is why we want you to go ahead and and sell this is because we don't want you to find yourself in a, in a weak cash position. We want you you to have that liquidity. Yeah. But uh, all right, Joel, we've got uh, more to get to specifically. We're going to talk about umbrellas, but maybe not the kind that you're thinking about. We'll get to that right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Hey, folks, it's Matt. I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little Health Aid kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorites so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly probiotic tea that's good for your gut. 
It's blended with real fruit juice and it's super thirst quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon I'll have some. It's super easy and it's affordable too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, we're back. Matt, right now it's probably a really good time for us to talk about an insurance policy that's really cheap, that provides a ton of coverage that most people don't know about. And we, we actually, maybe we'll call this the Facebook question of the day. There was a great... We're switching things up a little bit. Yeah, a great yeah. Facebook post this week. And by the way, if you're not a member of the How to Money Facebook group, well, what are you doing with your life? It, it, unless you're just kind of trying to stay away from social media, in which case that's totally fine. But if you're on Facebook, the How to Money Facebook group is the place to be. And there's always great questions in there. And so we we're like, why don't why don't we feature those on, a, on occasion yeah. on the podcast? And so uh, listener Derek posted in there this week and he said, I'm curious about umbrella policies. When you, would you recommend purchasing one? Is there a certain net worth where it makes more sense to buy? He says, we don't own a home, but I want to make sure we're protected. Yeah. Which, don't, don't forget he included the little umbrella rainstorm umbrella <laughs> emoji, which <laughs> well, everybody sees it now that I've said it. You can picture, isn't it purple? Uh, I, I think I don't, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then what made me think? Oh, we should talk about this on the show. Was listener Deanna? She chimed in and she said, "Oh man, I wish Matt and Joel would address this on the show." And had a bunch of likes. And I'm like, "Okay, cool. Maybe Boom. maybe this is our impetus to talk about here this." Here we go. So, so here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, start with the definition first off. It's it's called an umbrella policy for a very good reason. It's this broad based liability insurance which protects you in the case of an accident. It's literally like an umbrella offering additional coverage for your other policies that might end up being insufficient. So you might have like tiny umbrellas that just don't shield enough rain uh, from like, let's say your your homeowner's policy or your car insurance policy or a boating policy, something like that. And this umbrella policy is like, I'm the big boy umbrella. And I'm going to cover all the other ones uh, just in case maybe they're not big enough to provide the coverage that's necessary. I do like the visual that you get with an umbrella, right? Yeah. But here, here's why I don't like it is because you think umbrella policy, well, that's that's what goes up there and it takes the brunt of any claim that might be made. And that's actually, that might lead you to think that, well, that's the most important thing, but it's actually not because the other yeah. insurance that you have in place, it's going to kick in first. Like yeah. it makes me think of like uh, Spartans or, you know, like like uh, knights or like Vikings in your case, Joel. Um, <laughs> but like they had shields that, you know, hopefully would protect them from arrows and swords and battle axes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But let's say, let's say someone hits you really hard with a sword and like the shield fails. Well, that's when the breastplate is there to, it's like the last line of defense. And that's really what an umbrella policy is. It's there in case the limits of the initial policy are exceeded. Yeah. So it's limited uh, visual impact for you (laughs) is what you'd say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this kicks in whether we're talking about, let's say a car accident or, you know, where your coverage is insufficient for the damage that occurs. uh, Or let's say if you've got a dog and it bites someone, and they've got some medical bills. Uh, by the way, those can those can add up. I have a friend who is a lawyer and he personal injury lawyer, and and 
you'd be surprised at the number of dog bites I deal with. And about how much money the oh the person, the plaintiff in that situation can command I believe based it. on all the medical bills that, that can accrue. And so you're, you're thinking, oh yeah, come on, unlikely. But man, if it happens, it really can be a substantial bill. And that's when, that's when umbrella insurance comes in really handy. Totally. Yeah. It is there to cover the stuff that you hope never actually does happen. <laughs> so, okay, let's, uh, I like the car example. Let's, let's say you were at fault in a car accident uh, and you're car insurance it only covers up to fifty thousand dollars for the other vehicle but let's say that the other car that you wrecked because it was you know you're at it's an at-fault accident let's say that, that car was worth a hundred thousand dollars which given inflation you know in the car market specifically that's not out of the question sure if so well the driver is going to come after you personally for that extra fifty thousand dollars well that is when an umbrella policy would come in handy it's going to protect your assets the things that you own in the event that you're liable yeah yeah and so well let's talk about how much it costs too because umbrella insurance it's in my mind it's kind of like renter's insurance and the only reason i compare the two or put them in the same breath is because they're both pretty darn cheap. And it's crucial for a certain segment of the population to have these specific coverages. But instead of covering renters, which is what renters insurance, like tenants, every tenant should have renters insurance because it's so dang cheap and it's going to cover all your possessions in the event that something happens. But when it comes to umbrella insurance, it's there to help higher net worth individuals. That's kind of specifically who it's there for if you're not in that camp, then you probably don't need it. So uh, umbrella insurance offers extra coverage and I would say peace of mind for people whose financial assets have grown substantially over the years. It's it's kind of like a, su- a success tax, but it's a tiny one. And I say tiny because you can fetch something like a million dollar umbrella policy for like, I don't know, 200, 250 to 350 in a given year, somewhere in that, in that vicinity, somewhere in that ballpark. For, for someone who has saved and invested and built up like substantial assets over the years, it's it's coverage that you probably need to have that's actually relatively inexpensive given what it provides. True. Keep in mind, though, that it'll have an impact on some of the other insurance policies that you might have because your insurance company might make you increase your insurance limits on other policies before they issue you an umbrella policy. So you can't have, let's say, like state minimum coverage on your auto policy and then take out an umbrella policy because you're like, oh, no, that's the, the, the more affordable path to take. Crank up the deductible lower the coverage amount Mm -hmm. and get that really cheap umbrella policy, you'd be hard pressed to make that happen. Uh, So you might find yourself paying more for your home or for your auto insurance as those those limits increase in addition to then what you're going to pay for the umbrella policy itself. Yeah. So you might find, oh, I've got to pay an extra $325 a year now towards home insurance because they made me increase my limits in addition to now paying the extra few hundred dollars a year for umbrella insurance too. Again. Yeah. Again, because the umbrella- Still probably worth it for a lot of those people. Yeah, people, but because the umbrella policy is secondary, so they just want to make sure that you're covering your bases in the ways that you should right. first before they have to before they get the call and they're like, "All right, time for you guys to pay up now." Yeah, <laughs> and I think at the end of the day, really, when we're talking about umbrella insurance and what it's for, it's there to cover you in the case of a lawsuit, typically, right? In the case of either, like you said, Matt, um, <laughs> running into a car that's worth so much more than your policy covers, like you run into the a Ferrari on accident or something like that. That, Or even like a nice Tesla. Or even a nice Tesla. The Ferrari you see and you think, oh, I mean, I literally think this. When I get three lanes over. Yes, literally I do that. When I'm driving on the road and there's a nice car in front of me, I'm just like, nope, no, sir. (laughs) And I just slow down. I let somebody else pass me, get in front. Like, I want them to hit that Ferrari and the, I don't know, likely chance that they start doing some crazy drive and decide to floor it or slam on the brakes or something that Ferraris are capable of. But Teslas are way more uh, nondiscreet. Is that the right term? Yeah. It's hard to notice nondescript. That's what that's the word. They oftentimes just look like normal cars. They, you know, they they don't have like a flashy, bright red paint job on them or something like that. That being and said, they've gone down in price substantially. So. They have gone down in price, but yeah, I like the, the car examples because I think that is the most likely chance of you getting sure. sued because it's, man, you know, if you get just, like your phone, there's a notification, somebody texts you, something happens in the car, like a kid says something in the back and you have to turn around real quick, you know, don't do these things. But like, <laughs> yeah. the, I, in my mind, these are the most likely scenarios for a lot of folks to end up getting sued by somebody. Yeah. And, and truly that is like kind of what an umbrella policy is meant to protect against for the most part is a lawsuit that would occur because your coverage is insufficient. And so Matt, it makes me think like the two of us, we own rental properties, right? That increases the likelihood of a potential lawsuit. It means umbrella insurance is even more important 
for you and me, right? Having a teenage driver, that's another scenario that puts you at much greater risk of some sort of potential bigger catastrophic situation that means you're going to need more insurance co coverage than you have through just your auto policy itself. That's right. Yeah. Your kid's not going to get sued right. because they don't have any money. Like They're coming <laughs> after you, and luckily, umbrella policies cover your family members as well. So that's yeah. an important note to make. Sure. And so uh, you know, other potential lawsuits waiting to happen are like throwing a house party, someone getting hurt, and they're a really bad friend, and so they sue you because they're just... <laughs> A litigious jerk, right? Th those are the kind of things that could happen. The, the I would say maybe a lot of these are in the unlikely yet possible realm, and that's partly why it's so cheap, right? Because umbrella insurance offers this protection that you're unlikely to need, but that you're glad y you have if a situation like this arises. It's kind of limiting your your financial exposure to the worst case scenario. And it's again, it's the secondary policy, right? It kicks in after the primary insurance, and so that's why it's so dang inexpensive. But for someone who has a lot of assets that could be at risk, it's a really smart play. Yeah, you mentioned house parties, but like if that's just who you are, uh, you, that's just something that you do, <laughs> then that, that might be something that's on. And, and you've got like three bull mastiffs that you like to let roam free in your yard, uh -huh. or I don't know, in a pool and everyone's doing keg stands, <laughs> then you're going to want an umbrella policy. So there's certain kind of situations and scenarios where you might be more likely to be sued, but it goes beyond just being in a situation where you're likely to be sued. You also need to have enough assets on hand because let's say you are likely going to be sued, but let's say you've got a negative net worth. Well, in that case, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense for you to get an umbrella policy. Mm. You kind of need to have both on hand in order to in order to think, all right, yeah, this is something I might I might actually want to consider. One one other thing to note too is that via the employer retirement, I think the Security Act or something like that. Is, I think this is back from like the seventies, nineteen seventy four, I think specifically. But it was a good year. It, it was a, it was a great year. <laughs> <laughs> but your four hundred one k is actually shielded from lawsuits like this, and so we're talking about assets. Uh, beyond the amount that you have in a 401k. And evidently, I think money that's in your IRA is, off, is also protected up to $1 million. So some of it depends on the state that you live in. But keep that in mind. Because, and where your money's at, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so keep that in mind. If you, you've you got credit card debt, you don't have a ton of assets, and the majority of your wealth is in your 401k, like let's say for some weird reason, you don't have a whole lot of money on hand and like a home or I don't know, other stuff, but you've got like $750,000 in a 401k, you actually still aren't a good candidate for umbrella policy because yeah. that, that money is going to be safe uh, as opposed to if you've got half a million, a million, two million dollars in a brokerage account, something like that, yeah. that, that could totally be on the hook were you to be found guilty or, or whatever. I don't for know sure. The, I don't know all the legal terms. Uh, <laughs> We're not lawyers. <laughs> we just play ones on podcasts occasionally and, and home repair experts from time to time, too. But um, yeah, I hope that answered your question, Derek, and hopefully everyone else in the Facebook group, Deanna and the rest, hopefully that's a helpful explanation. There's a lot of nuance, right, to umbrella policies. Um, and yeah, if you ask your insurance agent, they'll probably say, of course you need one. Of course you should. We'll sell it to you. And, but there are a lot of people, Matt, who who have you know high net worth, who have assets like they've got a substantial real estate portfolio or something like that, or they have a decent chunk of cash in the bank, and, and they're, they might be too exposed if they don't have one of these policies. And again, they're pretty inexpensive and they, they provide a lot of that backstop that that, uh, that can be really helpful, that can prevent you from getting financially screwed yep. in the unlikely event you get sued by someone who is litigious, right? That's right. Um, nice but, little safety net. Yeah. So, all right, let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode. This was Prankster from North Coast Brewing Company. This uh, listener, Greg, dropped it off for us. So, Matt, what were your thoughts on this Belgian-style golden ale? It's got all the Belgian flavors, man. It's got those uh, all that Belgian yeasty goodness going mm -hmm. on. It's got the florals, like some of that banana floralness or fruitiness, I guess, is, is what you pick up on. Some of those Belgian spices, too. Like, oh, yeah. Is that like, is that clove that I'm tasting? Like, like yeah, it's like clove, peppery, yeah. coriander, kind of like, yeah, it makes you think of like a Christmas ham yeah. uh, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for me, the um, like Belgian beers are so unique, right? And they really have their own vibe going on. And so uh, I've a lot of U.S. breweries have really taken to making Belgian style beers and they do a great job. Like uh, this is this is on par with a lot of the the actual Belgian style golden beers I've had. Like a Duvel from yeah from Belgian brewers, if not better, right? Left, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those actual Europeans. And so to me, these kinds of beers they're kind of like light 
beers, but they have like way mo- a ton more flavor, right? So yeah. if, if you're saying, listen, I want they kind of punch above their weight class, yeah, uh, when it comes to the the flavors that they're that they're packing. If you're saying, mm-hmm. listen, I want a beer that's not too heavy, not too intense, but I want I want a lot of flavor to go along with it. A Belgian style golden is like a great choice for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if you're looking for a lot of flavor, but not a dark beer, right? If you like all those flavors, but not toasty, chocolatey, coffee notes, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're looking for more of that fruit without a bunch of actual fruit adjuncts, I t- yeah, that's a good way to a good way to think about it. A little I bit t- brighter, I, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again to Greg for donating this one to the podcast. And yeah, we didn't specifically mention you're talking about how this is a U.S. brewery. They're out in California, Fort mm-hmm. Bragg. To be precise, I, feel I, don't, like, I don't think we've ever had North Coast brews here on the show, unless we've had Old Rasputin, which I feel like is, is their, that North Coast. I think that's their big beer. Oh no yeah. way! Uh huh. Oh well, if we haven't had that one on the show, we need to we need that, to have it. Do that again here yeah. soon. I know we've enjoyed it before, but maybe not on the show. Yeah. But, uh, all right, so that is going to be it for this episode. You can find uh, some of the different resources we mentioned during this episode up in our show notes at howtomoney.com. Actually, one resource I just remembered that we didn't share. Uh, we've mentioned, I think, student loan planners student loan repayment calculator, but mm-hmm. I, I saw that the, the federal government actually has one as well. So we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes, add that to the resources page. Specifically, if you're trying to figure out how re, uh, student loan repayments restarting, how that's going to impact your specific payment, uh, we will link to that. And if you have a lifestyle or a home renovation question, uh, this whole house <laughs> style for us, please send us a voicemail. We would love to take that question here on the podcast. My, my answer always, tear it down to the studs. <laughs> or just put some wallpaper on it. <laughs> <laughs> Covers a multitude of sins, yeah. Uh, but that's going to be it for this one, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today.